0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you turn in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 24? Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for bringing us all together today. Thank you for the excitement and worship that is generated when the body of Christ gathers. And we meditate on truth. And we sing praise songs to you. And everything comes into perspective once again. And now, Father, we pray that you would have our full and undivided attention, that your Spirit would then use that to speak to every one of us, not only about issues that will come in the future, but on how these truths affect us right now and how they apply to us right now where we're at. So this time, Lord, is yours. This Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, we ask you now to use this for our spiritual growth. In Jesus' name, amen. Historians will say that the Dark Ages were between 476 A.D and 1,000 A.D. They're called the Dark Ages because at that time, illiteracy was up, confusion was high, spiritual, political, and moral atmospheres were really waning at that time, and people were basically in Europe in a spiral downward. There was not much hope. I heard about a monastery during the dark ages in spain and a young man decided to join become a monk and there was one standing rule that is it was absolute silence everybody had to take a vow of silence no words were to be spoken you were to spend your days in holy contemplation only you were only allowed two words every two years imagine that for some that's impossible Two years went by, and he was allowed to give his first two-word presentation, so he sat in front of his superior, and the superior hand-gestured for the man to speak, and he said, food, terrible. (laughs) That's all he had to say. Two more years went by, and the same young man sat before his superior, and he was allowed to say two words, and he looked at him, and he said, bed, lumpy. Two more years went by, and he was allowed two more words. And this young man had had enough. He looked right at his superior, and he said, I quit. Before he left the monastery, his superior said, You know, I'm really not surprised, because all you've done since you've arrived is complain, complain, (laughs) complain. The Dark Ages. Truth be told, it was the Christians during the Dark Ages, that stood up against all of those trends that were moving downward. History will tell us that raiding bands of barbarians were unable to withstand the enlightenment that was provided by the Christian church at that time. So eventually, it was the Christians, in their productivity and their literacy, that brought in the Renaissance, the Enlightenment of the Ages after the Dark Ages. Did you know that there are some people today who believe we are now facing another Dark Age? They think we're about to lapse into a very similar pattern as was evidenced in Europe in the Dark Ages. One of those is a gal by the name of Jane Jacobs who about a year and a half ago wrote a book called The Dark Age Ahead. She said there are five pillars of any culture that in our society in America are decaying. Number one, she said, is community and family. It's moving downward. It's declining. I think most of us would agree with that. Higher learning, she said, is also trending downward. As is number three, politics. As is number four, science. And then she said there's a fifth factor that she calls bad culture. Culture is inviting a bad element. And almost that's becoming the norm. Well, they may be right. We may be on the verge of another dark age similar to that of Europe. But I submit to you that the real dark ages are yet to come. Very dark. Uncomparable to any other time in human history. On several levels. But more than anything else, a spiritual level. The Bible has a lot to say about that coming time. But one verse that perhaps sums it up in what we're trying to say is in Zephaniah chapter 1. I'll read it to you. Here's the description. It is a day when the Lord's anger will be poured out. It's a day of terrible distress and anguish. A day of ruin and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom, of clouds and blackness. Now, the Bible predicts there's going to come a falling away. That's the term it uses, a falling away, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, right before the Antichrist comes on the scene. And eventually, when he emerges and he will force people to worship him, that that whole trend downward spiritually will eventuate in what the Bible calls Babylon the great harlot, the mother of all harlots, this religious system that captures the souls of men and women. There will be a new dark ages. Now at that time, at the tribulation period, during this dark moment, there will be no church like we know it. They will have been raptured. We will have been gone by that time. There will be no salt and light filtering through the culture To stem back tides of evil. Nobody to protest abortions, nobody to go against the trends that are in our culture. You know, I think about all those people who have complained against us saying, I wish you narrow minded, bigoted, fundamentalist Christians were all gone. We'd be better off. They'll have their wish. We'll all be gone. And then the earth will be left to rot like a piece of meat putrefies quickly in the sun. The world will rot very, very rapidly when the salt is removed, when the light of the earth is taken off, and the world plunges into darkness. So here's the question, and it'll be answered in this text. What will the world be like just prior to the light, the dawn, the second coming of Jesus Christ? The disciples asked the question. Jesus gave a list of signs, and now we come to the final signs that lead up to the ultimate sign, which is the second coming of Jesus. And I'll tell you what it's going to be like in a word. Just before Jesus comes back to the earth, the world will experience a level of spiritual warfare unparalleled. Not only will it be bad on all other levels, but when it comes to spiritual warfare, it will reach its height. And here's how we know that. Three times in this sermon alone, Jesus predicts that the enemy will use deception on men and women. He talks about signs, but he keeps coming back to this one over and over again. Look back at verse 4. He begins his message by saying, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And down in verse 10, after a host of other signs... And many will be offended, and will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And then we come to our text this morning in verse 23 through verse 28. And now we have the final signs, the final last indicators... Of how dark it's going to be just before the light of Christ himself emerges. The first one we want to discuss today is it's going to be a time of spiritual vulnerability. Spiritual vulnerability. Verse 23. Then, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. So to sum it all up, false prophets and false Christs will make false claims And perform false signs and wonders. All of that is going to happen. And it's mentioned three times in this message alone. When the Antichrist does come on the scene in that future period of time, not only will he be out to deceive and get people to worship himself, but he's also going to attack and persecute any of those people who will be believing in Jesus Christ at that time. Listen to this description in Revelation 13, verse 7. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to overcome them. Now, would you just for a moment think of what all of this means purely on an emotional level? Think that the world by that time will have been dealt its harshest blows ever supernatural wonders as well as natural signs and wonders, famines, disease, earthquakes, scorching heat, falling stars, polluted water. All of that happening on the earth while during that time, not hundreds, not thousands, but billions of people will be killed on earth. People, in other words, will be Tired, hungry, thirsty, weary, some fleeing from the Antichrist from Jerusalem looking for caves to hide in. People will be at their most vulnerable time ever, depleted of energy. You see, whenever people get to a level of weariness, they become susceptible to anything or anyone that would promise them hope. They're open to anything at all. And Satan will take advantage of that with deception. The book of Revelation reveals that when the tribulation opens up, it immediately opens up with deception. A war-torn world will be welcoming somebody who's going to fix the problem. That world ruler will come with a solution that will appease all of the sides involved and get treaties to be signed. Listen to the description. Revelation chapter 6, which as I see it is the beginning of the tribulation, introduces four horses, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they come in and they bring upon the earth the judgments that proceed. Here's the description. When the Lamb opened the first of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse... And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, some people will make the mistake, I believe, of looking at what we just read and say, well, that's Jesus Christ coming back. No, it's not. That's how good of a counterfeit he wants to be. He comes on a white horse. Remember the old Westerns? If you want to rob a bank in the old Westerns, you wear a white hat and get on a white horse. Because nobody will suspect you. You look like one of the good guys. No, the Antichrist is portrayed here, not Jesus Christ. How do I know? Because the signs that follow that first horseman are death, disease, destruction, etc. He brings all of these horrific things that follow in his wake. That's not Jesus Christ. No, the real deal... The real Christ comes at the end of it all. And listen to this description now in Revelation 19, and you'll see the difference. I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And on his head were many crowns. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So the first guy who comes in right at the beginning is the masked man. He's the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing. And he's going to have an unusual appeal. You know, Adolf Hitler, when he came to Germany and he he hit the European homeland, he was well-received. He had this incredible charisma and appeal. People bought into it. One commentator says of the Antichrist, he will have the oratorical skill of a John Kennedy, the inspirational power of a Winston Churchill, the determination of a Joseph Stalin, the vision of a Karl Marx, the respectability of a Gandhi, the military prowess of a Douglas MacArthur, the charm of a Will Rogers, and the genius of a King Solomon. Imagine somebody coming to the earth like that, dazzling people. It's designed to be a counterfeit second coming. It's what Satan has always wanted. Very, All the way from the beginning, when Satan fell out of heaven, he fell because he said in his heart, I will be like the Most High. And so here he stages a false trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So it begins with deception. Now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 9, if you wouldn't mind. I'm having to turn there. I don't exactly know where in the tribulation this fits. Perhaps in the middle, perhaps toward the end. But talk about dark ages. Listen to this description. Revelation chapter 9. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key. To the bottomless pit. To whom? To the star. See, now we have two descriptions. One of an inanimate object that is now personified suddenly in the next sentence. It's a star falling from heaven, but the star is called a hymn. And the hymn, the person, has the key to the bottomless pit. By the way, abuso, the bottomless pit, is a word used about nine times in Revelation. Almost always, if not always, to describe this place of incarcerated demon spirits. So that's the setup. This guy opens the bottomless pit, and look at the next few verses. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Now get a load of these locusts. And to them was given power... As the scorpions of the earth have power, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death And will not be able to find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. Their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses Running into battle. You go, what on earth are these things? I think this is hell belching out its demons upon the earth to so deplete people that they want to die, but they can't, and they will be at their most susceptible, most vulnerable stage ever. 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 Add to that the false prophet who comes in chapter 13, who looks like a lamb, but he talks like a dragon. That's his description. And you have a perfect setup for people to be deceived because they're, they're going to look for relief anywhere. And anytime somebody says, This is Christ. Oh, oh, he's over here. Here's a new thought system. Here's a new belief system. People will do anything to give them relief. Okay, that's then. Here's my question. How vulnerable do you think we are today when it comes to spiritual warfare or a false religious system? How vulnerable are we? You would say, well, we're in the enlightened age now. Dark ages is way past. You might be right. You might be wrong. I remember a guy came into my office several years ago put out his hand. He said, I'm Jesus Christ. Well, I was taken off guard. I said, I've always wanted to meet you. (laughs) I asked him to sit down. I said, tell me again, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus Christ. I said, I have one question for you. Where were you born? He goes, I was born in Pittsburgh. (laughs) I go, you're not Jesus Christ. The Bible predicts he'll be born in Bethlehem. You weren't. He goes, well, I'm the second coming. I go, really? Really? He said, I, I'm the second coming, and I can prove it. I said, how? He said, the Third Testament. I said, okay, I've read the Old Testament. That's one. The New, that's two. Where'd the Third Testament come from? He goes, I wrote it. <laughs> okay, this guy was a wingnut. He had no followers. And so you say, anybody can see through that. Okay, but think back a few years, would you? To the 1980s. Do you remember that guy, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh? Some of you remember he had a compound of 64,000 acres in Oregon, just south of the Columbia River. Thousands of followers from all over North America. He claimed to be the very Christ. He said he was going to take over Oregon, the United States, eventually the continent, and one day the entire world. Of the thousands of people that followed Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, 80% were college graduates. 20% had doctoral degrees. 12% had double doctorate degrees. Many of them raised in churches or synagogues. What was the appeal? Here was the appeal. What people said who came out of that cult is we were just burned out. We were burned out on culture, burned out on society, burned out on organized religion. So here comes this wacko from the East saying, I am Christ and I'm going to take over and bring in a new age. And thousands of smart people followed him at a very vulnerable time in American history. Where are we today? Well, here's where we are. According to the Barna Research Group, they put out an article that said most Americans base their truth on, you know what? Most Americans base truth on Feelings. Feelings. Not objective truth on feelings. In fact, they said, by a margin of 3 to 1, 64% of American adults said truth is always relative to the person and the situation. So what if the situation is really bleak like it's described in the Great Tribulation and these people are going through Absolutely depleted of energy and weary and vulnerable. Have you heard of this guy, Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda? Some of you have. I see a few nods. He was on the Today Show just a couple weeks ago, I think, a few weeks ago. He said he's Jesus Christ. He's from South America. He said right in the camera, I am Jesus Christ. The Miami Herald ran a news article about Miranda. The article said, in 1988, he announced he was the reincarnation of the Apostle Paul. In 1999, he dubbed himself the other, a spiritual superbeing who had paved the way for Christ's second coming. In 2004, he proclaimed himself to be Jesus Christ. So he's working his way up every few years. He said, I don't study the Bible. I don't go into rooms for prayer. Who am I going to pray to? You go, okay, this guy's weird, and they pick up on him in the press. He has no followers. Wrong. He has thousands of followers, and there are 30 study centers right now in the United States, and worldwide there are 58 thousands of people who went to organized churches and left them and are now picketing in front of churches saying all of you christians are believing the wrong gospel this guy is jesus christ well you say this guy's crazy he has a messiah complex that's what psychologists dub it nowadays a messiah complex is anybody who thinks he or she is the redeemer of the world One rabbi said, today in Israel, there are scores of people with a Messiah complex. They move over there because they know what the Bible says about end-time prophecy in Israel. They are living in Israel, and they're just waiting for the right time to launch. Now, move over a couple countries to the Muslim country of Iran. We've already mentioned this guy a number of times in his studies. The head of Iran... Ahmadinejad, the president of that country, sincerely believes, it's all over the press in Iran, that he will be the instrument Allah uses to bring the Messiah to the Muslims. The Mahdi, or the 12th Imam, the hidden Imam. The one who will come on the scene, take over the world, and Islamize the entire world. He believes he's the guy Allah will use to do that. All of this to say the world is becoming more and more Messiah ready as time goes on. So there will be a time during that period of time where it will get so bad that there will be a spiritual vulnerability. Now let's go on in our verses back in Matthew 24 because there, though that is going on, there's a counter trend to that. And that is there's going to be a scriptural vitality. Because you'll notice in verse 24 that when Jesus predicts false Christs and false prophets and great signs and wonders, notice it says, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You see that? If possible? The implication is, it's impossible. If it were possible, it would happen, but it's not. Because the elect will be sealed by God and thus aware of this deception. Now let me insert a verse right about now. V- Revelation chapter 13, which describes the Antichrist who comes. In Revelation 13:8, we read, All who dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Those are all the people that are going to follow the Antichrist. The ones that won't are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They're the elect. They're the ones that are kept. They're sealed. They won't be deceived. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. They won't pay attention to another. They will follow me. Here's the question. What is it that will tip off the elect to the discernment that all of this is false, wrong, wrong? Deceptive. You know what it is? Prophecy. Prophetic scripture. Verse 25, Matthew 24. See, I have told you beforehand. I've given you enough advance warning so that by the warning, you will understand when it happens what's going on. It's the same idea as back in verse 15. Notice it with me. He predicts the abomination of desolation. He says, whoever reads, let him understand. So during that time, people are going to be finding these books. A lot of them will be left. And they're going to start reading it. And they're going to get the lowdown on this. And those who become God's elect converted to Christ during that time are going to see all of this prophetic scripture written about in advance, and they're going to understand this, and it's going to steady them during that time. And it's the belief in the prophecies of the Word of God that will keep them faithful to Christ, even to death. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, the fifth seal was opened, and I saw under the altar the souls of them who had been slain for the Word of God and for the testimony which they held. They were willing to face death, and they will be, because they hold on to what the Bible has said, and they believe it. And then Revelation chapter 20, it's the same group now preserved all the way through. I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus, and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So what will keep them from taking the mark of the beast? What will keep them from following and worshiping the Antichrist? What will keep them from all of this mass deception? It will be the warning in the scripture. So, during the most vulnerable time in human history, it's the prophetic scripture that will steady them. Jesus telling them these things in advance. As Christians, we know the value of the Bible in steadying us whenever we face difficulty. Probably one of the first things you do when you face a trial is you go right to the Bible. You want to see what the Bible has to say about it. You read a psalm or or you read an epistle of Paul and it brings courage and comfort and steadies your soul. But I'm telling you Don't stop there. Read not just Psalms, not just Proverbs, but in your darkest, most vulnerable moment, study prophecy. Study prophecy. I'll tell you why. It will steady you and anchor you like nothing else. Because you realize God is so powerful, He's able to write about all these things that are going to happen thousands of years before they do. I guess He's got it all under control. It'll just bring a a sense of stability. No wonder Peter said we have a more sure word of prophecy. Hey, did you know that the book of Revelation, we would probably say that's the most prophecy-laden book in the Bible. The book of Revelation is the only book in the Bible that specifically opens with a promise for a blessing to anybody who reads it and listens to it and obeys it doesn't mean that you're not blessed by reading other portions of the Bible. It just happens to be the only book with a specific blessing promised to those who read and hear and do. You remember those two disciples on the road to Emmaus after the crucifixion and resurrection? They thought Jesus was dead, buried, didn't expect him to be risen from the dead. Jesus comes up, this is Luke 24, and comes up incognito, starts talking to these guys. Hey guys, what's up? How come you guys are so bummed out? Now, this is a free translation. And they look at him and go, what are you, a stranger? You don't know the things that have happened during these days? And he said, what things? And they tell him about Jesus, and we trusted in him, but why should we trust? He's dead now, our hope's gone. The Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all of the prophets, he began to expound to them all of the things in the Scripture concerning himself first thing Jesus did to his disciples after he rose from the dead is not just give them a Bible study, but a prophetic one. He showed how all the prophecies in the Bible center on him. And do you remember what the disciples said? They said, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us along the way? They got heartburn. (laughs) Scriptural heartburn. The good kind. And how'd they get it? by seeing how the prophecies of the Old Testament land on Jesus Christ and how He fulfills them. Well, did you know that one-fourth of your Bible is prophecy? So if you ever say, well, I don't really want to read prophecy, that, you got to cut out a, third, a fourth of it. 25%. God put that there so that you and I would read it and we see those things that have been fulfilled. Oh, we're steadied by it. Because... Really, all of them focus on Jesus Christ and His coming again. That's really the main theme of the Bible, is Jesus Christ. I love the story about the man who came home from work uh, one evening. He was just bone weary. He wanted a little bit of space. He walked in the front door. Well, he has a little boy who wants his attention and time. Daddy, let's play. And Daddy knows he has no energy, so he thinks, I just need 30 minutes of time alone. Daddy looks on the couch and sees the newspaper, and on the front of the newspaper is a picture of the earth taken with a space camera. space probe had been sent up, and there's a big picture of the earth. Brilliant thought comes into Daddy's mind. He takes and cuts out the picture of the earth into little puzzle-like pieces and hands the pile of newspaper pieces to the sun with tape. He says, you put this puzzle together for Daddy, you put the world together, and then we'll play. Now, Daddy thinks he's got 30 to 45 minutes. In five minutes, his son comes to him with the world perfectly put together. Dad is shocked. says, how'd you do it so quickly? little boy said, it was easy, Dad. You see, on the back is a picture of a man. And when I put the man together, the world came together. And when you see all of the predictions in the Bible and how they all speak ultimately of Jesus Christ, the man, the son of man, the son of God, and how he rules and reigns, the whole world just comes together. And it enables you and I to go through our present situation and attack steady, solid, because we know the God who holds all things together. Well, let's go back to Matthew 24 and finish up these two verses. The third indicator, the third and really the final, ultimate sign is the sign itself, the second coming of Jesus Christ Himself. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagle's will be gathered together. The third sign then is what I call supernatural visibility. Probably a better term would be universal visibility. Everybody's going to see it from one end of heaven to the other. Now, folks, this is the second coming we're dealing with. It's not the rapture. At the rapture of the church, if you remember, the church leaves the earth and goes somewhere in the atmosphere. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Jesus comes to the air... At the second coming, Jesus comes from heaven, through the air, all the way to the earth. At the rapture of the church, only those raptured will see him. 1 Thessalonians says, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. But at the second coming, Revel- Revelation 1, seven, every eye will see him. And Jesus said, it's like lightning. Hey, when lightning happens in Albuquerque in the middle of the summer and you see the flash, it could be in Los Alamos, you'll see it. It could strike the earth up by Santa Fe, you'll see it. It illuminates everything. And that is the meaning, I think, of verse 28. Sort of an odd verse, and a lot of times we ask, what does this mean? Wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles, literally the better word would be vultures, will be gathered together. You can always tell the position of a dead carcass from a long distance away by seeing those birds flying overhead. The carrion, birds of prey. You know something's going on. It's, there's a visibility from a long distance off. So I think the point of these two verses is this simply, the coming of Jesus Christ is going to be sudden, public, visible, glorious, dramatic, and universal. Everyone will see it. Unmistakable. Well, that's the second coming. In verse 29 through 31, describe it in great detail. We'll devote all of next week specifically to that great event, the second coming. Today, I want to walk away with a few lessons. And here's the the main one, I suppose. Your enemy in mind, the devil, knows you really well. He studied you. And he's had a long time working with the human race. Thousands of years. He knows what makes human beings tick, what drives us. And he will attack you when you're the most vulnerable. When you are at your weakest point. He's got the strategy ready. And when that happens, what will you do? What do you do? I'll give you a few suggestions of what you should do. Number one, don't isolate yourself. If you think about the tribulation period and all those believers who are going to be hassled and attacked and have to flee to caves and be hungry and weary and thirsty and all of that, they're not going to have the ability to gather together in congregations like this and hear the word of God and sing worship songs. So, when you're attacked now, when you feel vulnerable now, don't isolate yourself. And I say that because that is our tendency. We don't feel good, or something's happened in our lives, or we start getting depressed and we go, I don't want to be around people. I was going to go to church, but I don't want to go now. That's when you need to go. You need to get around God's people. You need the encouragement. Don't isolate yourself. Number two, it's back to the book. You study the Word. And start learning to study prophecy more often. That neglected one-fourth of the Bible. Because as you read it, you're going to be tethered to God's divine grace. You're going to have a sense of stability like you've never had before. And then number three, expect. Yeah, expect God to show up in the midst of that. And take that dark, vulnerable, hard time and transform it. Look for God's mercy and grace in the midst of that. L- let God take that time and teach you how to be a deeper person. I- I've always loved the story of the woman who lived next to the atheist. They lived so close that when the woman, the Christian, would pray out loud, the atheist next door could hear everything she said. Well, He didn't believe in God. She thought, he thought she was nuts. In fact, every now and then he'd say, you crazy old lady, there's no God. Why do you bother praying? One day, she had no groceries. So, true to form, she prayed out loud, Lord, you know that I need groceries. I have nothing in the refrigerator, nothing in the cupboards, but I trust you, please provide. Well, the atheist heard that. So he thought, aha, here's my chance. And he went out and bought her groceries. And... Put a bag or two of groceries on her front porch. Knocked on the door and hid in the bushes. She opened the door, saw the groceries. She looked up and said, "'Thank you, Lord. Praise God. I knew you'd provide.'" Atheist jumps out of the bushes. "'You crazy old lady. God didn't buy those for you. I did.'" Now, we thought he had her. When she heard that, she got even more excited. And she started running down the street. "'Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.'" He couldn't figure that out. So he finally chased after her and said, what are you so excited about? She said, look, I knew that God was going to provide groceries. I just didn't know he was going to make the devil pay for it. (laughs) Either Either way, she understood that it was God that provided, that took a very tough time in her life and overturned it. And when Satan unleashes his worst attacks, you watch for God to step in and overturn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have been learning so many wonderful principles. Not just facts about the future, not just a chronology of future events, but we've learned deeper than that about the kind of great God that we serve. And we're comforted. We're comforted. To know that because we're your kids, we're your children, we have a song. We have a reason to rejoice. We have reasons to come and join with other believers in fellowship, to be united. And as we study the Word, we see you've got it all under control, you've got nothing to worry about. Heavenly Father, We would just pray for anybody here who doesn't yet know you. There would be a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody would leave here today without turning their life over now. Maybe they're at a very vulnerable low spot in their lives. Maybe they feel they've got it all together. But there's a realization that they need you. I pray that they would commit themselves to you. And right where you're seated right now, wherever you're at... If you haven't yet made the Lord Jesus Christ your Savior, your Master, your Lord, I want you to just give your life to Him right now. You just say, right where you're seated, just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe in Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead for me. And I am willing. I turn from my sin. I turn from my past. I turn to you. Help me follow you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me be your disciple. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.